Welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. He's got one of the more recognizable names in professional golf. He also has one of the more memorable wins in Players' Championship history. Fred Funk started from humble beginnings in Maryland, working his way up to a PGA career that has lasted more than three decades. Funk currently can be found on the PGA Tour Champions, where he owns nine victories, including three majors, since joining in 2006. He also earned eight victories as a member of the PGA Tour, including that 2005 Players' Championship. On today's podcast, Funk will be joining me to talk about his big win as the Players' Championship gets set to celebrate its 50th anniversary. He'll be here in just a moment. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Fred Funk has some great stories to tell, none more enthralling than how he won the 2005 Players' Championship. Let's bring him in now to hear about that and so much more. Fred, it's an honor to have you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah, it'll be fun. I look forward to it. Uh, Certainly. So, of course, the first thing we're going to talk about, as I mentioned in the intro, when you won the 2005 Players' Championship, it was under incredible circumstances. Because of numerous weather delays, the second round was completed Sunday, the third round on Monday morning, and then the final round was done all day Monday. So you played 32 holes on Monday in just blustery conditions. You won by a stroke, avoiding what would have been, what, a four-way playoff, I believe. So just take us back to that day, that Monday, the nerve-wracking element of it, the final putt. Just take us through all of it. Well, geez, that's a, <laughs> there was a lot. And a lot of people don't remember that we went to Monday. Or if they remember that, they don't remember how many holes or how little golf we got in. Only 40 holes, or I only got 40 holes in in four days. So. We still had 22 holes of play or 32 holes of play, and it was um, waking up in the morning. We finally had beautiful blue skies, bright, you know, just really beautiful day. But the wind, then you look at the trees, and the winds are are blowing the trees halfway over. And we had 30, 35 mile an hour sustained winds and 42 mile an hour gusts that day. And it was just one of those days like, oh, crap, I got to go play this course on these conditions are going to be brutal. And, and remember, I started with my second shot on five was my first shot of the of of the day and my third round and completing that. And I, the way I remember, I shot sixty five seventy two, and then I remember hitting the second shot on six, my second hole that day. And I had to flight this ball down, and I hit a really good, um, really good one there, and I hit a really good second shot in the five. And I told my caddy, I got it. And he goes, what are you, what are you talking about? What do you got? I said, I got control of my ball today. He says, I, I, I'm hitting it really good, and I can flight it. So he said, oh, that's good. And, he, and sure enough, I ended up um, just hitting the ball really solid with my irons. My driver, I um, – it. well, let me back up a little bit. It ended up playing right into my hands with all those winds because with all the rain, they – maintenance couldn't get out there and mow the rough. So that rough has been growing all week and it was 
mega high. If you got into the rough, you were just hacking it out. He had no control of the ball. And I never missed. I, I hit one drive in the first cut all week, and I never hit it in the thick stuff all week. So I was driving the ball really good, and I had total control of my golf ball. And that paid off that day because I was aiming at flags and doing stuff. So anyway, I was on number seven of the third round, my third hole of the day. And no, I'm sorry, got to back up. So now I shoot 71 and finish third round. We don't repair. So now the leaders are all over the place. Uh, so we didn't have time to repair. So we just all go back out. I'm playing with Adam Scott, who was a defending champion, and Vaughn Taylor. And um, the wind's still just howling. And the, all those guys, like Vaughn and Adam, could hit the ball a long way, and they hit it really high. And I was hitting my little pea shooter down low. And and I didn't really have the effect of the wind affecting my ball as much. And all the bombers were kind of dropping off the board because they were hitting it in the rough, and the wind's blowing it over in the rough, and they didn't have any, any chance. And the four guys that... Well, the three guys that uh, I ended up beating was Tom Lehman, Burr Plank, and Luke Donald. And Lehman was already in the house, and then Luke and Scott were coming in behind me after I finished. And we were all, you know, medium to short hitters. So, uh, and that's one beautiful thing about TPC is that you could you have bombers winning, and you have guys like me winning. And uh, and if you have control of the ball, of course rewards you in that particular day it did and i did look at the board trying not to look at the board but i looked at saw the board on uh number seven of my fourth round and i had about a 30 foot putt and i told my caddy i was back i was behind about three shots i said hey man i make a few birdies i get back in this thing he said it'd be a good time to start and uh i ended up birdieing i made that putt i made a bomb on eight a birdie 10, made a great par on 11, birdie 12, birdie 13. And now I don't want to see a board. I just want to get to the house. And I mistakenly saw I had a three-shot lead on 14 green. And I had a hard putt. And uh, coming down, left to right, downhill, wind howling. And uh, three-putted 14, three-putted 15. Um, and then I got on the green. I had a 20-foot eagle putt on 16. And I missed the eagle, made the birdie, and then I go to 17. There's three groups on the tee, and uh, and one on the green. And I'm watching all these guys hit it in the water. They had two of the three guys in every group hit it in the water. And then uh, Vaughn and Adam birdied 16 as well, so they had the honors. I was last up. They both hit it in the water. And then I'm talking to my yeah, it's a, how the hell you get it on this green? I'm, this is, I'm, I'm thinking five iron. The wind's coming in out of the left, straight, almost straight in, a little out of the left. And he says, five iron. I said, you're crazy. He says, you know, normally it's an eight or eight, nine wedge, eight at most uh, for me. And I've hit wedges before. And and um, he goes, no, you're not hitting five. I said, six? He goes, no, I'll let you hit a seven. <laughs> so, so I hit a seven and that almost went over the green and just on top of that tier. But at the same time, it almost rolled down where if it just went a foot to the right, it would have rolled all the way down to the hole. Instead, I'm putting down that hill, and I ran it by six feet, and I three-putted that one. So I three-putted three of the last four holes and knew I had a one-shot lead over Lehman at that point and um, didn't know what Luke and Scotty were doing behind me. Uh, and I hit a really – I hit the best drive of my life probably on 18. I 
took it over the boards and let the wind take it out. So I aimed right over the water. And most people were bailing out right, and then you were dead in that rough. And um, it's, it, you know, trying to avoid being in the water. So I had a six iron into the that back left pin, and I was aiming right at it. I was actually aiming at the left fringe and let the wind hit it a little bit to the, to the right. And it didn't. I, I hit it off the toe, and it looked like it, from my angle, it went in the water. And I go, oh, crap, it's in the water. And my caddy goes, no, it didn't. It's in that bunker. And I go, what bunker? And I'm like, <laughs> I forgot the bunker was back there. And luckily, it came out of its egg hole. And uh, it was just sitting on the lip of its own egg hole. And if it was buried, I would have had nothing. And instead, I had a really pretty good, well, an easy lie to get it up. And I didn't have much green to work with. And somehow, I left it. I hit a good bunker shot, but it stopped about five feet short of the hole, which I thought was impossible to leave short. And then I had that putt, and because I hit such a bad putt on sixteen, on 17, um, trying to make sure, or, you know, trying not to three-putt, and it was one of those guide strokes. And I said, I, I got to just put a good stroke on this. And if it goes in, it goes in. If it misses, at least you put a good stroke on it. And the minute I hit it, I knew I made it, and I slammed the hat. Then I had to wait out Scotty and Luke, and... You know, winning by one. Had I not three-putted those holes, I might have been the only guy to ever go wedge, 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 wedge all the way down 18 until I got dry <laughs> up on the green. But uh, it all worked out. It was um, an amazing win. It was an amazing week. I, uh, frustrating week, and at the same time, it was so rewarding because that was my biggest win, signature win for me. And you know, I moved here in 91. It was my home event. It was... Uh, all the home crowd. I had the punks, punks, my fan club that were awesome. And, uh, it, it, it was huge. So, you know, anytime I get introduced, uh, it's, you know, former players champion. And that's, that means the world to me. That's for sure. Well, you know, what I love about the story you just told is this is now almost 20 years ago. You remember every single detail like it happened yesterday. I mean, how often do you kind of go through it in your mind? Do you ever think about it much? Or, uh, uh, you know, it's just the clarity that's there is amazing. Well, I'm not as uh, clear as I used to be with, there was a time in my career where I would remember almost every shot I ever hit in any tournament. Um, But I really remember that last day because it was such a difficult day to play. And it was, it was, uh, golly, I was, I had so much control of my ball that um, I was aiming at flags. I was taking, I, I wasn't playing away from anything. I played super aggressive on a day where you almost had to play defensive. And I got away with a couple things. I it was like on 13, they had the pin left up, you know, five, it was uh, three or four paces from the left boards on the water. And, um, and you can use that hill. You just aim aim to the right, which is where I was trying to aim at the right and let it feed down the hill, which is a lot of feeder pins we have out here, like on number four and and uh, 13 are the two obvious ones. And um, and I pulled it, and I ended up, I was one step from going in the water, but I was only about eight feet from a pin. And uh, I made that for birdie. So I was, you know, it was, <laughs> it could have gone the other way. I almost made double, but I made my birdie and, and, that that's when I didn't want to see a leaderboard. I just wanted to keep my head down and go. And I accidentally saw a leaderboard on, on 14. And so I had that three shot lead. I went, Oh crap. And then 
my caddy goes, uh, oh, oh crap, what? You know, the same thing like I did with the club. And he goes, I go, uh, it's my tournament to lose. I just, I got a three shot lead. He goes, just get it to the, <laughs> just keep playing like you idiot. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it was, it was, um, a lot of clarity. That's what we were talking about. I do remember almost every shot I hit on, on Sunday or on Monday <laughs> on, on that last round. Yeah, you guys almost had the first Tuesday, uh, which we almost got a couple of years ago too. But still, still waiting for a uh, Tuesday round in the players. Actually, we're not waiting for that. We're, we're very happy when that doesn't happen. But okay, so you live down there in Ponte Vedra Beach, which for those who are listening and don't know exactly where that is, that's essentially the South Beaches area of the Jacksonville area, uh, where TPC Sawgrass is located. But all right, we walk into your home, Fred, and do you open the front doors and there's the Players Championship trophy staring for the world to see? Or where do you, where do you keep that nowadays? Holy smokes, I got a story there because we moved out of Ponte Vedra uh, three, we spent three winters, the last three winters in um, Austin, Texas, and we just moved back in June. And all my memorabilia, all my trophies, all my stuff is still in boxes up in, uh, actually out in Colorado where I built my first golf course called Rain Dance. Um, so that's where it's in a storage facility in, um, in Colorado, because what, when they build the clubhouse, which they haven't done yet, at the course of Raindance, they're going to have um, basically a trophy room. It'll be a little little place for all my stuff. I'm going to put all my stuff at Raindance. But I did used to have a trophy room here at the house uh, that I lived most of my life here in Ponte Vedra. I moved here in 91. We had a beautiful home on the Intercoastal and had this big game room that was a trophy room, too. So it was sitting there. Um, with some of the other ones, but it, uh, right now it's in a, hopefully not broken somewhere <laughs> in a box and in, in the storage facility. Yeah. I mean, it's basically like a, a 16 inch tall glass kind of squarish, uh, vase type of looking thing, wasn't it? No, the original was just, um, uh, it's not the new one with the features of every, supposedly the, the body of it, not the body, but the, the, I'll call it the mannequin, but the, the, okay. The, the image of the person is supposed to have a quality of every champion in it. Uh, which you really can't recognize. That's impossible to do. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what would they put like a really short legs on it or something for me? <laughs> I don't know what they would do, but, <laughs> or, or it would have a, a, a beak for a nose to be, you know, whatever they want to do. <laughs> But um, it's a beautiful trophy, and the one I have is just a, a big round, you know, kind of a round glass. It's pretty. It's really pretty, but uh, now it's really special. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when, when you won the tournament, uh, you were 49 years, 9 months, and 14 days of age, becoming the eldest winner of the Players' Championship, and you still hold that honor. Does that kind of hold a special place for you as well? Yeah, for sure. Um I took pride in, uh, I was kind of arrogant about it, uh, because I played my best golf from 42 years old through age 54, 55. And I played at the highest level that I played at. I, I made tour championship a lot at the end of my career, which was always a goal to make top 30. And I just was a real solid player. And, and then a lot of people were 
at that age usually are backing down, not playing as good, and and kind of waiting to get on the Champions Tour. And then they all talk about Mason Lowe that age on the Champions Tour. Says I can't compete with these guys. Well, if you put the work in, you can compete. Nobody, maybe DJ, very few guys worked harder than I did. Um, so I, I felt like I had to outwork them to beat them, and that's what I tried to do. Um, there's some things I would have changed <laughs> in my career had I. Um, was was to do it over if I was ever in a position which it's impossible to to do it over again. Um, I think that one thing would have been believing in myself a little more. Um, it took me a long time to get comfortable out there, and then when I got comfortable, uh, I still had some doubts because my game was I didn't have a power game. I had to I had to hit on all cylinders to to uh, compete with the guys, and that's the era before this era where the guys are really long. Um, so, you know, I had to, I, I kind of had a A to B game. I, I just try to just keep it in play, keep the ball in front of me, go from A to B, B to C, set up as many birdie opportunities as I can. And then when my putter was out, I had a good week. All right. Well, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Players Championship. Of course, it could have been the 51st, but uh, you know there was a year where it was put off because of COVID. So this has been referred to as the fifth major. So what does this tournament mean for golf, and what do you have to say about it as it reaches its golden anniversary? Well, it, it is it is our tournament. It's the Players Tournament, and it's at our home. Uh, the first CPC was built by Pete Dye. And he did a great job. I I truly believe that of all the TPC Network golf courses or all the courses that are in the TPC Network, that Ponte Vedra is the best. It's a phenomenal layout. It's uh, They keep tweaking it a little bit. It's not the same course it was when it was built, mainly because they cleaned out the jungle that used to be the, the rough and, and where the trees are. If you miss the fairway, your chances of finding it was – you had more chances of getting bit by a snake than finding your golf ball um, back in the day. Uh, there was there were just so many palmetto bushes and everything. So most of that's cleared out. It's all pine needles. So you can find your ball. It, it plays, honestly, a, a lot easier than it used to, especially when it was first built. Uh, it, the defense of it would be, I'd say, really just the win right now. Um, usually in the March date, uh the March date, the course is really soft. They had a couple of years when David Duvall and Lee Jansen won two that were the March dates that were, I think, five under one and three under one. It was it was really super firm and and you know really fast and and it got a little bit windy. So I mean, par was a great number back when you get those conditions and and you get the firm conditions. But now when it's soft so much and we have a phenomenal superintendent with Jeff. Um, but he's fighting what TPC was built on. He's he's fighting the fact that that was a swamp. It's like a foot below sea level when they built that, before they built that thing. And um, it always wants to be a swamp. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what they do. It just it retains water, and, and it's very difficult to get it really firm. So uh, it, it needs to be, when it's, you know, I have a saying, it's brown is beautiful, and, in golf instead they're so concerned about making this thing look so green and lush and i think if they let it be bermuda and just not maybe a light overseed let it be a little bit brown everywhere and and just 
let's let's get that ball running again. And because what happens when when you get a ball that's a golf course that's firm and fast, it plays shorter, but it plays a lot more difficult because the pros have uh, less control where the ball's going to stop. And the ball's going to run into the rough. The ball's going to run into the trees or into the bunkers. It gets into trouble. Where when it's when it's really soft, it just basically almost plugs. Sometimes it does plug, and you know you it's easy to hit the you hit the fairway, you stay in the fairway. So that's the difference. Well, you know, you were telling the story earlier about the year you won and how your ball came very close to either doing good or bad things on hole number 17 as you were watching lots of people drop it in the water. I love just standing there and watching several groups come through 17. So uh, what has your relationship been like with hole number 17, the island uh, green, and uh, how have you fared on that? Well, I got one of my worst moments when I – Probably my worst moment ever on a putting ring was on 17. But uh, as far as how many balls, I haven't hit many balls in the water through that career. I always managed, almost always managed to get it on the green. I don't remember maybe one time that I actually had to go to the drop area, which is a brutal shot. That drop area, no matter where the pin is, that drop area, it's almost better just what Fred Couples did one year is just re-tee it. And then he made the hole-in-one on the re-tee, which is not a hole-in-one. He made a par. But, uh, um, I had the the better than most years. So this is actually a pretty good story. I forget what year it is. I'd have to easily look that up. But uh, when Gary Gary Coke says uh, better than most on Tiger's putt, and he hold it from the back of the green, and it was going down that slope and goes in, and uh, <laughs> it, and you hear that call. Well, I was playing in front of him, and Tiger's on the tee with Phil, and I had that pin. I hit it to about 15 feet right of the hole, and I five putted. And I, I made a, that was on a Saturday and I was in contention and then all of a sudden I'm not in contention. I was, I was out after that, but that was, I made a three footer for my fifth putt. I, I kept lipping out, lipping out, lipping out. So it's my only, thank God, five putt I've ever had. I've had four putts, but that was a five putt in front of everybody on 17. Now that was a, a hard walk over to 18. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite hole on TPC Sawgrass? One that you've always done well on or that you've enjoyed playing? Uh, definitely not eight. <laughs> I can't even hit that green. Um, I really like number four. I like that hole. And why is that? Uh, it just, it, it's a neat design hole because you can take on the pin. Uh, you don't have to take on the pin. You can use the slope. It has slopes that feed to the right pin. It has the big slope that feeds down to the left. So it's, a really good hole, but if you go for the slope and you miss the slope, you got a very difficult two putt, almost impossible two putt on some of the, some of those spots. So it's just a neat hole. There's there's been a lot of eagles on that hole because it is such a feeder pin uh, or a feeder green, and um, and yet there's been a lot of doubles on that hole too. It's a it's a not a super difficult tee shot, but you can get some quirky winds out there and it's just easy to miss or difficult to hit the fairway easy to hit it in that right bunker which is dead you just do not want to go over there it's better to go over in the left rough than that bunker down the right side all right well now you know i want to ask you a couple of other questions before i let you go about uh your past and your background but uh before i do that is there anything else you'd like to say about uh tpc the 50th anniversary of the players championship or anything about the tournament 
No, I, I really do wish they would make it an official major. I understand how difficult that is to change all the record books. You got, you know, Tigers uh, won a few, and Nicholas won at least two. I think he might have won three. Um, they would have to change all the record books, which would be fine by me. It would give me one, but it's still being talked about as a fifth major. I I think a lot of people feel that way because of the strength of the field and the type of golf course. And now it's it's kind of like in Augusta. It's not a road of you're always coming to that tournament, always coming to that golf course. Every year is a different conditions, different uh, favorites and different stories every year. So it's I think that's what makes that tournament so special. So it, it's a great tournament they have in a great location. It's grown into uh, what it is now. Everybody talks about it. You usually when they mention a guy on TV, like I've been listening to the farmers at San Diego the last couple of days, and they talk about well, how many majors they have in the, in the group and how many players champions they have. One, they mentioned the players champion. We have one players champion here, which is Jason Day, and uh, uh, that's cool. I mean, they just keep bringing the players up, which is probably on purpose. They might be told to be doing that more than likely <laughs> because we're coming up on the players pretty soon. So. Um, I'm sure they're being told, well, by the way, don't forget about talking about our tournament. <laughs> All right. Well, especially so, now with, with the, with the live and everything, you know, you gotta, you gotta be talking about our, all our good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, at least there's been a little understanding reached with live. So, uh, it's not as controversial as what we were talking about at this time last year. That's for sure. So, uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your background, Fred, because I, I, I do extensive research into the people I'm going to interview, and I love this, a couple of facts that I read about you. One is that you boxed for eight years for a junior boys club. So uh, how were you as a boxer? And at the time when you were in your peak shape, let's say a battle royal broke out amongst golfers, would you have won it? Well, I, I, I'm really too small to have the, the attitude I have, <laughs> but when I get when I get a little pissed off, I'm not going to back off. I, I spent eight years old. I was 16. I was on a boxing team, junior golden gloves. I grew up in the same County as Sugar Ray Leonard. Same time. We're the same age. Uh, in hindsight, I wish I fought Sugar Ray to say I got my butt kicked by Sugar Ray, but, um, but I didn't, but I saw him coming up and I just don't, I'm willing to, you know, I got hit a lot. So, <laughs> I mean, there's no way you, you, you fight. In box, you're going to get hit no matter what, unless you're just get lucky and you knock the guy out on your first punch. But uh, I just don't, I don't back down. I get a little, I have a long, long fuse, but I've had a couple times when that fuse gets burnt and I'm ready to go. Uh, so, so it's just, uh, yeah, I, I just, it was a good thing. I tell you what, it. I'm kind of stuttering a little bit because I'm trying to think and keep the train of thought going on boxing. But what really I think helped me, I've always had a really good work ethic. And when we trained in boxing, and now eight years old, I'm 65 pounds. And I, I don't, you know, you get in the ring and you're a tiny little guy and you just put your head down and windmill your punches. But then you learn the art of boxing, but also the art of training. Uh, we train from uh, usually beginning of November end of October all the way to April and April was our big uh, double elimination tournament that we had at Andrews Air Force Base and um, it, it was 
pretty cool. And uh, we had all the boys clubs in PG County, which is the border county where I grew up in D.C. And even back then, it was a tough neighborhood. It was uh, a lot of a lot of tough guys and um, street fighters, basically. You know, and uh, they would get in the ring and they would they would just be the the bully, try to be the bully, and you had to you know put up. Now back then, we you know in that level you fought with headgear, mouthpiece. Headgear only only really helps you with uh, headbutting, um, and so you don't butt your head and knock each other out. And uh, we trained with 16-ounce gloves, and we put like a 8 or 10 ounces of lead tape on it, but we fought with 8-ounce gloves, and that's like having a fist. You know, it was very, very little. So it didn't. It felt like you didn't even have a glove on. So your hand speed, you're always working on getting your hand speed up. The irony of that is I actually had a lot of power in my right hand, and I had decent hand speed, but nothing like what Sugar Ray is. I mean, it's he got in the ring, it was a different, whole different animal. Um, his ring presence and everything else. And But with all that, what I learned, other than the discipline of training, I never had the speed in, in golf that I thought I would have because my hands, I could move my hands pretty quick. But um, it didn't translate over to, to the golf golf game as being a power player, that's for sure. Well, you know, I just get this mental image that replaces Bob Barker with you as he's punching Happy Gilmore. So uh, <laughs> tra- trading fists on the golf course. But, you know, the, the other interesting thing I read that w- is while you were at the University of Maryland, you held a job as a circulation supervisor for the Washington Star. So were you ever close to becoming a newspaper person or uh, are you happy you chose a, a slightly more lucrative course? <laughs> well, well, what's then I had a paper out during that whole time when I was 10 years old, and then I was old enough at 17 to um, drive the truck and be a relief guy. So on the weekends, I dropped the papers off to the carriers instead of being one of the carriers. And it was a Teamsters union union job, and I did that all the way through college, and I was making 8000 a year working two days a week, which was a lot of money back in the 70s. Um, and that supported my golf. So I did that. I'd, I'd get up at, uh, I'd leave for work at one, one thirty in the morning to go downtown to get the papers, load the truck up like a UPS truck and load it up and drop it off to the carriers. And I did that for seven years. So it was a very lucrative job though. And then, then in the summertime, I'd go over to the University of Maryland course where I grew up and hop on the greens mower or mow the greens. And I was making two twenty, two twenty five an hour there which was the minimum wage, and then the $8, $8 on top of it for about three hours of that, I was making 10 or $11 an hour, and uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Well, there you go. Hard work pays off, and uh, that's really cool to hear. So, Fred, what are you up to nowadays? Are you working on any projects? Are you doing any golf course design? Are you just enjoying the wonderful weather of Florida? What, what are you up to these days? Well, the, the one neatest thing I got to do, which I never thought I'd get to do, was to helped design a golf course and we had an incredible piece of land out in Windsor, Colorado. It's an hour north of Denver, just south of Fort Collins, and it's called Rain Dance National. It's a more public than it is private. It does have memberships, but it's more of a public golf course, and it turned out really good. It's beautiful. Um, it's a difficult golf course, harder than I wanted it to be, but it's a, a really neat experience. Most of the people really love it when they go out there and the, the vibe out there is really cool, but 
to be a part of that. I never thought I'd have a chance to design one and I always wanted this kind of a bucket list thing. So I got one under my belt. I hope I get to do it again and again and again. Um, it, it was very, very special to go out there and actually create something. It will always be there. It's kind of a legacy thing. And then right now we're working on, they want me to do, a, I don't know what we're going to call it, the Fred Funk Golf Academy or something. I don't know. I always wanted a university called Funk U, so maybe we'll call it <laughs> Funk U. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, we're working on that, whether um, I want to be a part of a, an academy out there, and, and uh, I don't know how much time that means. And right now I'm still trying to play the Champions Tour, and I just had wrist surgery just a week and a half ago, so I'm, I'm out for a little bit and chomping at the bit to get going again. Well, hey, you won your first uh, major on the senior PGA or the PGA Tour champions, what, just several months after knee surgery. So if you can do that, you can come back from wrist surgery, right? Yeah, this wrist might be tougher than that knee. I had a knee replacement, too. Um, I think that was a that was I was the first guy to win with a knee with a new joint. And uh, but that saved my career. I had to I had to have that done. I, I was bone on bone. That was Oh, big deal. But the, a wrist is a big deal. I can't swing at all with a with my wrist when it's hurt. So I gotta hopefully come back from that a little bit all pretty right. soon. Anyway. Alrighty. Well, what are you going to be doing uh, during the Players Championship? I don't know whether. Um, hopefully, I'm going to be doing some of the corporate tent visits. All those corporate tents that are around 17 and 16 uh, usually go from one to the other to the other and just say hi to everybody and uh, mingle. And then watch some of the golf. I actually like going out and watching uh, some of the guys play and see how they, they play certain holes. The hole that really drives everybody crazy off the tee is number two. Uh, I think one and two are, and 18 by far, is a, 18 is the hardest tee shot. But uh, number two, you more guys get in trouble there because you got to turn it over a little bit. you got to turn it right to left with a right-hander. And, and the fairway is really difficult to hit or to stay in and those trees are lurking everywhere and in the rough to the right. Uh, so it, it's really a neat hole to watch, see how those guys are going to maneuver around there. But nowadays the guys hit it so far that they can hit a three wood off the tee and, and get it in play and still reach the green. Um, but it, it's one and two right out of the gator. You, you just hard to hit those fairways and you like to get off to a good start and it's not that easy. No, I'm sure it's not. Well, you know, I, I'm going to be up there all four days, so uh, hopefully I'll run into you. I'll I'll try and reach out to you through our, our mutual acquaintance, Gary Smits, the great golf writer for the Florida Times Union, who's been covering that and everything else Jacksonville for more than 40 years. So hopefully we'll run into each other. But for now, Fred, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I could listen to you tell stories all day. I have about a dozen questions I didn't get to, so we're going to have to have you back again. But I, I do appreciate the time today. Thank you. And that will do it for another episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters, and to quote golfing legend Lee Trevino, if you are caught on a golf course during a storm and are afraid of lightning, hold up a one-iron. Not even God can hit a one-iron. I can't either, but you can make a hole-in-one by joining me again next time.